Hey, good morning. Dave uh, kind of gave it away as he was praying, but uh, today we are starting a new book, as most of you would have suspected since we did finish 1 Peter last week. And of course, the logical uh, next step would be 2 Peter. So, Lord willing, we will look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Uh, however, before we read that, I thought maybe we should uh, briefly look at John 22, verse 15 and 16, which are the last words uh, that the Lord Jesus spoke to the Apostle Peter uh, before uh, the Lord Jesus departed from this world. So John chapter 22, verse 15 and 16. So, what, oh, 21, okay. I, I need to work on my Bible, you know, knowledge. Clearly, I'm missing something. John 21, uh, verse uh, 15 and 16, is that correct? That looks right, okay, good. We're on the same page. Uh, so, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. So this is part of what we call Peter's restoration. Uh, Peter was a disciple of the Lord Jesus, but... Uh, when Jesus was being tried uh, by, by the Jews uh, for um, claiming to be the Messiah and the Son of God, uh, Peter failed in his uh, devotion to the Lord. He um, was afraid to claim to be associated with the Lord Jesus. He didn't want himself to have to suffer what Jesus suffered. And so he denied the Lord three times. This is part of Peter's restoration where the Lord gives him an opportunity to three times declare his love and his devotion to the Lord Jesus. But Jesus then directs Peter's love to him. So Peter, Peter loved Jesus. Jesus directed that love to uh, Jesus' other disciples or other believers, which in this passage are called a lamb or sheep, right? Uh, like it or not, the Bible compares us to lamb and sheep uh, because we need God's shepherding. We need God's shepherding. And uh, Jesus was giving Peter the responsibility to shepherd, to feed uh, the sheep uh, with God's word and to shepherd them, keep them away from things that might be dangerous to them. And that is what Peter is doing in the letter of 2 Peter. So he's writing this to believers uh, during a time where there's uh, false teachers around. And the false teachers, uh, we would call them uh, today uh, antimonian, or the belief might be antinomianism. Uh, you don't really have to know this word. It's not found in the Bible. Uh, but it literally means against the law against the law. So we believe that we're saved uh, apart from the law, right? We don't have to keep the law of God in order to be saved. In fact, nobody can keep the law of God. God's perfection is such uh, that no one can keep it 100% well, 100% of the time. We all fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus died on the cross for our sins and paid for them in full so that we could be saved uh, by grace through faith. It's God's free gift of salvation to us, and he gives it to us when we believe the gospel message, when we believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, as we were singing in this past song. Um, but the antinomian uh, false teachers taught that believers don't have to worry about God's law at all. They don't have to worry about pleasing God with their lives. God saves us by grace, which means go out and party the rest of your life. You don't have to 
to be concerned with what it is that pleases God. That is not what the Bible teaches. And uh, 2 Peter is written largely to address this false teaching uh, that was being uh, proposed by these uh, antimonian teachers. Um, we see perhaps uh, one sign of that in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2. I don't know that I would call it the, the key verse of the chapter, but you can at least see that thought in there. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift distraction. So here we see there, there are false teachers. They're bringing in destructive heresies. Among them are denying the Lord. I could take it two ways. They, they may be denying who the Lord Jesus is. They're denying that Jesus is God, who he is. Or they may be denying him in that they, they reject his teaching. They're denying his authority over their lives. Right? That's, that's why the false teaching that was being brought and Second Peter was a letter written to the church to, if you would, shepherd God's sheep away from this false teaching. Okay? With that introduction, let's go ahead and look at the first 11 verses of Second Peter. All right, Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 1, Second Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, you know what, I'm going to turn this mic to me. Maybe it'll help you hear what I'm saying. You want to hear what I'm saying, right? Okay. Um, you may have to adjust the volume now. Okay. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I know that's quite a mouthful. We'll break it down and, and seek to understand what it is that the Apostle Peter is saying to us. <clears throat> Um, first, we see here, uh, he talks about himself, Simon Peter. Yeah, that's who he is, bond servant and apostle of Christ. He, he serves Christ, and he does so by being an apostle, meaning he is a messenger of Jesus uh, to those, to us, right? to anyone who <coughs> receives the gospel message. He's writing it to us, to those who have obtained like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So we have obtained like precious faith. Faith We see he, he refers to our faith as being precious because it is under attack here. It is saving faith. This is how we go to heaven, and it is being attacked 
during this time by the false teacher. Notice, says, notice immediately he brings in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll see a lot um, in this passage and in the uh, epistle referring to God's character, righteous character, <clears throat> because it makes it all the more obvious that teaching that neglects the righteousness of God um, is not compatible with God's nature. Also, a very strong claim here to the deity of Christ. <clears throat> he, say, he calls him here our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So to those who would deny the deity of Jesus, this verse would be very challenging, right? Uh, some would then jump on the next verse uh, where he talks about uh, God and Jesus as separate. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. But whenever God and Jesus are mentioned as being equal side by side, it's yet again a demonstration of Jesus's divinity. God will not make himself equal with anyone else. Right? It won't see here, <coughs> say here, uh, for example, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Don Robertson. Right? I mean, they don't belong together, right? You could put anyone else. You can put uh, even uh, someone like Moses. Uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Moses. Right? I mean, you can't compare the two. One is man, one is a creature. Right? The other is God. So the very fact that Jesus is again and again counted together with God is yet again a demonstration of who he is. And obviously, Peter is here countering the false teaching um, those who would deny uh, the Lord Jesus from being God. Uh, then he, uh, as, as often in the epistles, <coughs> he wishes something or desires uh, the blessing of those he's writing to. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Right? We want grace. Right? We want God's blessing. We want peace. We want to enjoy the peace of God. Uh, anybody here doesn't want grace and peace? No, we all want it. Uh, but in this case, he connects it to what becomes quite a long run-on sentence, right? And so we have to say the peace and the grace of God are not divisible from these other things, right? It is only through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior that we can have grace and peace. We can't expect God's blessing aside from a personal knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus. But it doesn't stop there, right? It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain <coughs> to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And it doesn't stop there, right? Now, I have to be careful because I'm trying to break it up enough to communicate clearly uh, what Peter is saying here, but we would say that you cannot enjoy God's grace and peace without a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus and without experiencing what the rest of the passage is talking about, right? As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And Peter is not the only one who is teaching that the peace and grace of God come connected to the knowledge of God and to living this kind of life. In 1 John, for example, 1 John chapter 1, in verse 3, John says there, that which we have heard, we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It is things we write to you that your joy may be full. Again, our joy comes to us when we enjoy fellowship with God, right? Um, I was saved, you know, praise the Lord, uh, you know, many years ago. Um, but I don't always enjoy God's grace and peace. Right? If I don't walk in fellowship with God, I don't enjoy these blessings. 
right? These blessings are ours when we are in fellowship with him. And John continues and says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. <clears throat> God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So in short, joy and peace and blessings are ours when we know God uh, and we enjoy fellowship with him by walking with him, walking in the light. Right? That's uh, something that is uh, antinomians, I'm going to keep mispronouncing that, antinomians teachers uh, were teaching against. They said, okay, you, you got saved, right? You, you believed the gospel, you had an experience, uh, you know, wonderful. You know, just, you know, go party, right? Uh, send us a check, you know, weekly. You know, you're good, right? That's not what the scripture teaches. There needs to be a consistent walk with God if we want to continue to enjoy God's blessings in our lives, right? Um, again, we're not talking about salvation, though we will refer to it later in the end. It does come into play. We're talking about enjoying the peace and the grace of God in our lives. Okay, I'll, I'm, I'm going to pick up in that what I mentioned as a run-on sentence. Uh, first, we want to recognize that the power to live that life comes from God. The power to live that life comes from God. He says in verse Three, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So there's, there's a number of things here that describe the kind of life uh, that we ought to live. It's a godly life, right? He's given us the power uh, for life and godliness. Uh, it's a life that's following God's character. He called us uh, by virtue and glory. Uh, we are attracted to the Lord Jesus because of his moral excellence, right? When we look at him in the scripture, we see the perfect man that came into the world, uh, revealing a perfect God, right, that created us, and we're attracted to him, right? That, that's how he calls us. Um, By whom have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through this we may be partakers of the divine nature. God has given us the ability to live a life that displays his character, uh, enjoying his character. God wants to live through you and through me. He wants us to display his moral excellence in our lives. Our lives should become a reflection of God. God should be shining through my life and through your life. And that is through his power, right? He's given it to us, right? Praise the Lord, uh, I can live the life of God, right? Meaning a life displaying the excellent character of God. He's given me uh, that power. And, uh, and because of that, I can, I can enjoy God's grace and peace in my life. I can enjoy uh, what we would call the abundant life. That's why Jesus came. And I can enjoy it because he gave me the power to live a life consistent with his character that allows me to enjoy fellowship with him. Right? Praise the Lord that he gave this power to us. So what we're, we're going to look on next is possible because of God giving us the ability to do it, God giving us his power, without which it will be impossible. Right? I would just make you feel bad 
because I will describe the life God wants you to live, and you'll say, I can't do it. You can't, but God can, right? And he wants to do it in your life, right? Okay, uh, next we see um, Peter describes these characteristics that, that, that God wants to see in our lives, right? He says, uh, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. And we'll go through that list uh, that he has. Again, it's because of this, because God gave us the power. Um, and uh, if, if I was to ask myself, why did Peter pick these particular seven characteristics of God, uh, one possible answer would be that these go against, again, the teaching of antinomianism. Right? These false teachers were teaching, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you said a prayer or, or you, know, you came forward at a, a church meeting uh, or you were baptized uh, and therefore, you know, you're, you're saved, you're going to heaven, I just go out and party the rest of your life. Uh, what Peter is saying here goes against that, right? He's, he's calling us to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. And that might be why these particular seven characteristics have been chosen. Uh, the other thing that I would say about it, and I kind of had a picture that goes with that, is um, when it says add to, sometimes we think, okay, build one on top of the other. We have faith, we'll build upon it knowledge. And then on top of knowledge, we're going to build uh, self-control, and, and then on and on. I would say uh, it's more like, uh, a garden. If you would, uh, your life uh, could be pictured as a garden. He says, add to faith knowledge and to knowledge self-control. This more like go alongside one another, right? Our life can display all of these characteristics. It's not one on top of the other. It's one uh, next to each other. It's like if you want the perfect garden, you're going to plant, you know, this set of flowers and then add to that this set of flowers, and add to that this set of flowers. And when you add the whole thing, you get something beautiful, more beautiful than just having one of these attributes, one of these kinds of flowers, right? So what we have here is, if you would, a panorama of the Christian life that Peter is painting for us, saying this is what you should strive for, right? This is the kind of life that God wants you to, to have, all right? So... This is, you know, your happy thought for the day. Your life is like a garden. You know, God wants you to be beautiful. And he gave you the power to be beautiful. And here Peter will tell us the best design for a garden that would make that garden beautiful. Make your life reflect God's character. Be as beautiful as God wants it to be. Okay, so the first one is faith. We already talked about faith. That is when we believe the gospel. We believe that Jesus is God. He came into this world becoming a man. And in this world, he died as a substitute for your sins and mine. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. That's the Christian faith. We go to heaven because of what Jesus did for us. All right? To that, it says we should add uh, virtue. Uh, the word virtue... Uh, literally means uh, manliness or courage. And uh, you know how you could be like a man, but then you could be a manly man, right? You have, you know, an extra characteristic. Uh, what it means to me is don't just be a Christian, you know, be a Christian. You know, God wants you to be a, uh, uh, a person who, who, who is bold, who's courageous, uh, in their faith. Uh, a verse that might go along uh, with that, and I try to find a verse that goes along with, with each of these characteristics to kind of help us maybe grab them a little bit more. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So we have a tendency of being ashamed of our faith, ashamed of being Christian. Why? Because the world doesn't like God. 
And because of it, the world doesn't like Christians. And it finds extra reasons not to like Christians. One of the most recent one uh, is the LGBTQ plus community um, has targeted Christians as enemies because we don't accept what they believe. They believe it's okay to be to change your sexual identity, it's okay to change your gender identity. And we say, well, that's not what the Bible says, right? And because of that, we have a big bullseye on us. And so if you claim to be a Christian publicly, you know, a lot of eyes are gonna go on you and say, ah, you're a bad person, right? And as a result, I mean, just one more, right? You know, there's been lots of hostility against Christians over the years. We tend to be ashamed, we don't declare our faith in the Lord Jesus. We don't declare uh, what it is that Jesus did for a lost world. And uh, in this passage tells us not to be ashamed. You know, be a manly Christian. <laughs> okay. Womanly Christian, right? Be, be, uh, don't be ashamed of Christ, who he is and, and what he did. So that's one, one uh, batch of flowers, if you would, one characteristic. Uh, next one, uh, is, uh, so that one was virtue. Next one is knowledge. And uh, it, uh, it seems that these antinomians uh, were dismissing a lot of the word of God, right? And that is convenient for people. Uh, they just say, well, we have a new revelation, right? Or, you know, listen to what I say and ignore everything else that it says. Uh, in, in the Bible, and that makes it a lot easier for false teachers, right? If they can get you to ignore the rest of what the Bible says. If we want to, to be stable in our Christian faith, if we want to, to make sure that we're walking along the path that God has for us, we need to have a broad knowledge of the Word of God, and, and, and that will catch all these false teachings. A good verse for that is um, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. This is uh, Paul speaking to Timothy. Uh, he says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to be a stable Christian, you need to know the Word of God. You need to know the Bible. Right? There you have the full plenary revelation of God. It's going to be a lot harder to get you to fall for some false teaching or another, because there's just so much in the Bible. This whole idea that holiness is not important, it's like you have to ignore like two-thirds of the Bible, right? Because it's so clear that holiness, personal holiness, is important to God. Our next one was self-control. And, and I, I acknowledge we're going to be we're spending the bulk of our time on this passage, uh, but after this we'll move pretty quickly. Uh, self-control... Again, the opposite of these antinomians, you know, you're saved, don't worry about it. Whatever feels good, go and do it, right? I mean, that's what uh, uh, they will teach you. But uh, the Bible teaches self-control. No, don't do whatever feels good. <laughs> A lot of things that might feel good are not good, right? And following them uh, won't, won't be good. Uh, Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Uh, in that chapter, he was dealing with um, eating uh, foods that were dedicated uh, to idols. So in those days, uh, there were um, uh, pagan temples, and, and people would worship in the pagan temples by bringing animals and sacrificing the animals. And that animal would be available afterward. You could buy the meat, and maybe that was the only meat available, or maybe that was the most, uh, uh, what do you call it, economical option in, uh, on the shelf to buy. And so it would be tempting for believers to buy it, and Paul was warning them, believers, look, 
for some of you, this is a stumbling block. And yeah, you could, you could eat this food and then your fellow believer's faith is, is jeopardized because they believe what you're doing is wrong. They'll be tempted to do it and in their heart, they'll be sinning against God. And so Paul, uh, in conclusion for that chapter says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives uh, the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable uh, crown. Howard was talking about this idea and the breaking of bread, how these Olympic uh, competitors, they'll deny themselves food, they'll deny themselves rest, sleep, you know, all these things that we uh, crave for. They will deny themselves because they want to be the best. And um, yet they're doing it for a perishable crown. At the end of the day, they have a gold medal. You know, I guess you can hang it on the wall, right? Uh, we have uh, an eternity ahead of us uh, with God in heaven, where we will enjoy the rewards of the things that we do in this life uh, for God. And see, so we should be able to say no, right? Just say no. Uh, for something that might in and of itself not be bad, right? Food, the meat offered to idol is just meat. But because it had a negative impact on God's kingdom, just say no. Uh, and, and we have a lot of things today. I know I myself wrestle with it. Um, you know, it's called the internet, right? <laughs> and there's, you know, so much stuff there. And a lot of it isn't in and of itself bad. Uh, but it could become a stumbling block. It could become a distraction and keep us from uh, living the kind of life that God wants us to do. And so we just have to say no, right? Not because it's in and of itself bad, but it's keeping us from, from reaching out for that crown, for living that life for God. Okay, uh, next is, so that was self-control. The next one is uh, perseverance. So, you know, self-control is a momentary thing. I have a momentary desire for something, and I need to say no. I need to focus on preparing for this sermon, right? Perseverance is uh, more like long range. You're in a trial, right? I'm in a difficulty. It could be a health, a health issue I'm struggling with. And, um, you know, Lord, why aren't you taking this away, right? I... This is, this is becoming a burden for me. And uh, it, could, it could cause us to lose our faith, our hope, our walk with God because we're frustrated with this continuing trial in our lives and God wants us to persevere. You know what I want you to do. Keep doing it. Even though, yes, you're going through this trial. Uh, don't, don't give up. And um, we have uh, an example for us, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that cloud of witnesses is referring back to Hebrews chapter 11, where you see all these saints who served God, a lot of which with a lifelong trial, uh, going through suffering, and yet they held on to their faith in God. And... Um, we're called to do the same, right? We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And who is our ultimate example in doing that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We were talking about that uh, this morning. Matt was pointing out the contrast of the cross, uh, the suffering of Christ, and yet on the other side, the joy, the joy that Christ had laid before him. And we can do the same. Yes, we're going through suffering right now, uh, but there's joy coming. And Jesus was willing to endure uh, despising this shame, thinking little of the trial he was going through because of the joy that was laid before him. God wants us to cultivate the same trait in our life, that of perseverance or endurance. Uh, the fifth one, fifth patch of flowers, 
uh, is godliness. Godliness. Now, godliness could be a very general term describing the various attributes of God. But the root word here is being pious or devout. Pious or devout. I think of a pious or devout person as a person who focuses on God, right? As opposed to earthly. You could be earthly, earthbound, or you could be godly, meaning God-bound, right? My life is directed toward the things of God. A good uh, reference verse for that is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, you could say because you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our destination changed. We have this booklet we sometimes hand out called Final Destiny. The final destiny of mankind uh, is hell, eternity apart from God until Jesus came to die for our sins, to change our destiny. All those who would believe in him, now we're headed to heaven instead. And as a result, we need to have a mindset on heavenly things and live for heavenly things. That's being devout or pious or godly, right? We're living for God in this world. I'm not here to satisfy the desires of the flesh. Now, praise the Lord, this morning I had you know, an excellent birthday breakfast uh, and I enjoyed it. It's, there's, there's lots of things in this world we enjoy uh, that satisfy our flesh. Uh, and we enjoy uh, relationships with uh, people uh, that we love. Jesus says that he came to give us an abundant life. We can enjoy this life. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. But in order to enjoy this life for the full, we need to live for heaven. Right? That's that patch of flowers that adds to this characteristic that God wants us to have. Okay, sixth one is brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. Uh, all those who are believers in the Lord Jesus are brothers. I have brother, a brother from an earthly family, and, and I'm friendly enough with him. You know, I try to remember his birthday and you know, send him a text, happy birthday. Uh, he lives in L.A., otherwise I'd probably, you know, get together with him on his birthday. We see each other on family events. Uh, if he really needed help with something and I was able to help, I probably would. Uh, that's a natural brother. Uh, we also have brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all children of God. Anyone who has uh, put their faith in the Lord Jesus has been born again into God's family. And because of that, we, um, we love each other, right? It's, again, kind of a natural love because we all have something in common. We're all uh, children of God. Um, I was wrestling with the best reference first for that. I picked this one in 1 John uh, 3, 14 through 18. says, we know that we have passed from death to life because... We love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. It's one of the evidence of being a child of God that you love God's children. I remember before being saved, I thought Christians were the most annoying people in the world. Uh, after being saved, I found a natural kinship, a natural affection for them because they, they believed the same as I did. They shared in my experience of having become a child of God. We now had a lot of things in common. We were both seeking the kingdom of God. Um, if you don't have that, if you, if you still think Christians are the most annoying people in the world, uh, according to John, it's an issue of concern. You know, have you really become a child of God? If you, if you, if you find nothing in common with other believers. Um, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, talking about the Lord Jesus. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need 
and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In this particular case, what John was appealing to is a reality in love, right? I mean, I can say I love you, but uh, it's a weak statement if it stops there. And so John says, don't love in word only, love in deed, meaning in action, right? And one of the things I appreciate here is our fellowship with each other, our interaction with each other is not limited to church, right? If, if there's a brother or sister in need, uh, we've often gone you know, to their houses, help them out, help them move, help them clean up their yards. Uh, Sometimes financially, a uh, person is in need and will step forward and, and help that person uh, financially. And, uh, and that's what it means here with brotherly kindness. That's the way God wants us to be. He wants us to be uh, active in each other's lives, right? Don't let your relationship with other believers uh, end at those doors out there, right? It, it should be uh, throughout, throughout the week, uh, wherever we are, uh, we should be loving uh, our brothers, brotherly kindness. And, uh, and finally, uh, we have love. And uh, this word love is different uh, the word love uh, in, in what we call the sixth the six, uh, patch of flower here uh, is translated as kindness. Adolfo, this one, love is agape, which means um, an unreserved love, the love of God. And, uh, and that's exactly what it is. The love of God uh, is not limited to people we share something with. Uh, it's easier for me to love a fellow believer than it is to love someone who makes fun of me for being a Christian, right? But uh, God wants us to even love, believe it or not, people who make fun of us uh, for being Christian or in any other ways enemies. We, we are thankful that usually persecution these days is very limited, uh, but it hasn't always been uh, limited, and in some places in the world, uh, believers are still being put to death for their faith in Christ, they're being persecuted to the death. But Jesus told us, this is, will be our, our last verse for this section, Matthew 5, 43 through 45, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Why should I love my enemies? Because God loves his enemies. Praise the Lord. That's the only way any of us could be saved and go to heaven, because we were all enemies of God. And again, why do we have this patch of flowers? Why are we trying to add all these characteristics to our lives? Uh, because we want to seize these exceedingly great and precious promises that we may be partakers of the divine nature. We want to be like God. Right? God wants us to be like him. And that's why we should add all of these characteristics to our lives. Okay, uh, we'll finish up uh, soon. Uh, first, uh, verse um, 8 Back to Second Peter chapter 1, said, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning this is really why God saved you, right? If you add these things, you're fulfilling God's purpose in, in saving you. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful. This is what God desires for you, to have these characteristics. Again, I don't mean to necessarily limit the expression of God's life to these seven characteristics, but if nothing else, it's a good place to start. And, uh, and obviously, uh, dealing with the particular false teaching that this epistle is addressing. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own old sins. So I have a picture here of, I guess, kind of the opposite of a garden. So 
this patch of ground has the same potential as the one we saw in the previous picture full of flowers, right? But uh, it remained uncultivated, right? This person uh, perhaps listened too much to these antinomian preachers and said, well, I don't have to, to live a life to please God. I, I, you know, he saved me. I said a prayer. I'm good. I'm going to go party, right? Uh, that's a lack of God in their life. Right? Lack of the characteristics of God. So he who lacks these things, it says, is, uh, is nearsighted uh, even uh, to blindness. Uh, so I have a picture of a nearsighted person. Well, not a nearsighted person, but this is what a nearsighted person would see. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't see the road and all the things that are coming. You can only things that, see the things that are close to you. Right? So a person who lacks these things, lacks the characteristics of God in their lives, is nearsighted, even to blindness. You could be so nearsighted, you won't even see your hand, right, if you're, if you're that uh, nearsighted. Uh, why? why is that? Uh, because they have forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. The whole purpose of salvation is to save you from your sins, right? So to be saved... Right? And here's where we're getting close to the question, is a person saved or not? And yet completely lack any of the characteristics of God in your life is showing that you've kind of missed the point. Right? Jesus came to save you from your sins. Yes, it's from the penalty of sins. Right? God doesn't want us to have to suffer, but he also doesn't want us to sin at all. Right? Now, we acknowledge, as, even as believers, we still sin. We're not perfect. But God has given us the power to live the divine, his divine life, to, to, to bring out his characteristics in our lives. And if nothing is coming through, uh, there's a problem, right? And, uh, and, and we see that in the next uh, verse uh, as well. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Uh, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Why? Because, so, so we acknowledge that salvation is by the call of God, right? God, no, no person is going to come to God unless God is calling them to himself, right? And we recognize that God has elected people to be saved, right? Now, we also know that God is calling Oh, Jesus died for all people, right? And, and anyone can be saved. Jesus died for all men. Anyone can come to Christ and put their faith in him. But there's an equal teaching in the Bible that God has also chosen from before the foundation of the world, right, who will be saved. The two truths stand side by side, and we want to make sure God's call and election in our case, right? You know, I want to know that I am saved. Now, if you come to me and you say, you know, Father Noah, I'm really struggling with assurance of salvation. You know, I, I want to know that I'm saved and I'm struggling. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll ask them a little bit about their lives and find uh, this person is not following God's will at all in their lives. Right? They're, they're doing all the things God says not to do. Uh, I'm not going to be able to give them an assurance of salvation. It's like, well, you know, this is how you get saved. But I can't tell you that you are saved. I mean, you, you're saved by believing the gospel. But I can't assure you of your salvation when I see no fruit of God in your life. But if we do, right, God has given us the power. And, uh, and if we cultivate that power, right, I mean, it, it, it naturally comes out. And we see these fruits of God uh, in our lives, and I'm not talking about perfection here, but we, we see a growth in, in virtue, being willing to profess our faith to others, a growth in self-control. I'm able to say no to things I've never been able to say no to, uh, a measure of perseverance. I go through some trials. I've gone through trials, and I'm holding on to Christ, uh, a measure of godliness. You know, I, I want to live in a way that, that counts for eternity. 
brotherly kindness, I, you know, I help my brothers and sisters. You know, they, I, I do feel a connection with them. Love, uh, that's a tough one. But, <laughs> you know, uh, somebody was mean to me. I wasn't mean back to them. Um, and you see these things, evidence of God's characteristic in your life that builds our assurance, right? God wants us to have assurance, right? He wants us to know that we're going to heaven. And that comes when God's characteristics are showing through in our lives. And so we, we ought to be diligent, right, in, in cultivating these things. We should seek to be diligent to make our call and election sure. For so, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, maybe in closing, just this verse, Matthew 6, 19 and 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brother and sister, we're headed to heaven. Right? Heaven is our home. This is not our home. And God wants us to live our lives in such a way that we're building up treasures in heaven. And that happens when we cultivate our life for God. We let God's... Um, characteristics come out uh, in our lives. And when we do that, it's like uh, this snowball effect. Right? Our hearts are set more upon heaven. The more I do for the Lord, the more I'm looking forward to the Lord because that's where I'm building my treasure, which gives me a desire to do more for the Lord. And that's the life that God wants us to live, a life of beauty like that... Uh, flower garden that I showed where God's character is reflected in our life, a life of confidence, being confident I am going to heaven, a life of joy, rejoicing in both the life God lets me live now and the life that he has for me, um, waiting for me in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness uh, to us. We thank you for this power that you give us. We thank you for the desire you have for us to fully manifest your likeness even in this life and desiring to reward us for it in heaven for all of eternity. We pray for any uh, here that has uh, perhaps been uh, confused by this doctrine of antinomianism, thinking uh, I don't have to do anything to please God in this life, uh, to recognize, no, you very much want them to live a life that counts for you, a life of joy, uh, both now and for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.